0: I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Just before the Trump administration ended, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a notice of proposed rulemaking for potential changes to the HIPAA privacy rule. Among the changes proposed are reducing the time from 30 to 15 days for covered entities to fulfill patients' requests for receiving copies of their health information and allowing more flexibility to healthcare providers in making decisions to share patient information such as opioid abuse, or COVID treatment with family members in situations involving serious and foreseeable threats rather than the current serious and imminent threat standard. Today I'm speaking with Rita Bowen, Legislative and Government Affairs Coordinator for the Association of Health Information Outsourcing Services, and Zach Perry, who is the organization's president and who is also CEO of RSS Medical, about the potential impact of some of these proposed changes, if indeed finalized by HHS. For starters, what stands out among the proposals that you think could have the most significant impact on patient data privacy and potentially data security, and why? Rita, would you like to go first? First of all,
1: let me just share that AHIS definitely supports the bulk of what's being pushed forward for granting access to the patient and shortening that time span of response from 30 days to 15 days. That does not present a problem to our industry at all. If you do look at some of the OCR patient access components that we have seen over the last two years with the civil money penalties and corrective action plans that have been initiated, we interpret that those facilities all have either been smaller facilities and or larger facilities that were trying to do the release of information in-house. Many of the initial issues were in smaller clinic facilities, and I think that's still going to be a problem for many of them in responding to requests within 30 days. So I think that needs to be considered when people are responding, because if it's just a physician office, and it's I hate to say it, but you know maybe their wife is the front desk person and doing the books and whatever. Are they going to be able to responding within that thirty day time span to a patient request? It's not a problem for us. The other areas in the proposed rule that we're somewhat concerned with is some of the guardrails that currently exist under an authorization basically seem to. To fall off because it's really advocating for more patient directive, whereas through an authorization, a patient has to acknowledge they want certain sensitive information released in other areas, and if it's advocating more for a directive of that standpoint no one has to inform the patient of their special rights of how that information might not be used against them or shared. That's where we would like to focus is basically on the guardrails that exist now. And we'd like to see those continue for patient protection of that information, because sometimes they're not aware.
2: Well, I think that, you know, the distinction between some of the enterprise healthcare settings and in the hospital and acute setting versus the outpatient setting, I think there is a fair point there that Rita makes. A lot of the folks that work in the enterprise healthcare setting have the HIM training, and many in the physician outpatient setting simply simply do not. And so any further pressure on the either response times or degradation of privacy guardrails largely could be felt most acutely actually in the outpatient side potentially. And that's where we have seen, as Rita pointed out, more of the enforcement actions. And then the second is I think that w- what could fundamentally happen here is a bit of a, in, by shifting the responsibility back economically onto healthcare providers to fulfill this information, both you know, the burden of the, the labor that goes into fulfilling the requests, the compliance training to understand the different regulatory regime in place, and also the security elements necessary to protect that data throughout the request and disclosure process. I think that is a whole area that, that a lot of healthcare systems probably don't clearly understand just yet.
1: One of the other components in the notice proposed rulemaking that brings a little bit of heartburn is the concept of verbal request. That's always something that we've tried to steer away from, you know, unless the patients right there or the, the individuals right there in front of you and you know you're talking to them, you could take the verbal request and you could document. But if someone's calling in on the phone, How do you know it's Zach Perry that's asking for Zach Perry's record? So even though it doesn't say you have to, it says you may, there's going to be pushes in that. And I think that that needs a little bit more vetting in the response when we we do respond to the notice of proposed rulemaking that needs to be carried out. Because if you give a crack in the door through a rule that says you may, then people try to take the may and turn it into a should. And that's where I think we need more dialogue.
0: So does it mean that perhaps there needs to be some identity proofing or or verification of patients or those that are perhaps asking for copies of patients' data on be on supposedly on behalf of the patient? Is that sort of a, a weak spot right now in the way these proposals are set up? In my opinion,
1: yes, especially in the area of verbal. Because currently, if a patient comes in, even if they're in front of you, and, and you're looking in the health record, traditionally a health record is going to have a form of ID in, in the record, or you know many of the ambulatory records will actually have a picture of the patient. So you can look at that picture and look at the patient, know it's the same person. Or you can ask for their identification, and they'll hand you your, their driver's license. So you can look at that driver's license, and it says Rita Bowen, and they're looking back, oh, that's you. But without that, I know what the, the notice of proposed rulemaking is trying to say is that it shouldn't be burdensome. You know, there shouldn't be a burden to the patient. And it indicated that some people were asking for notarizations on signatures and all that kind of stuff. I agree completely. You shouldn't be asking patients to jump over hoops to get their information. But I still think there's got to be a little bit of Clarity so that you don't have people doing fraud to get records.
2: I think that the, the important point really, and I'll you know whether we're speaking on behalf of our industry association or we're speaking on behalf of our own individual companies, we see our mission to as to connect patients to their healthcare data, right? That is what we do. And certainly some of the restrictions that you know people have observed, we we, we don't want there to be a burden for people to get connected to their healthcare information but there's also a common sense approach here to make sure that we're not releasing information to the wrong party or we're not releasing more information than the uh, patient would want to go to another party. And I guess at the end of that, do we have the ability, you know, whether it's a healthcare provider or an outsourced vendor like like one of our companies, do we have the ability to say here's what the patient asked for and here's what we delivered or are we going to be caught in this loop where People can come back and say, well, that's not what we said. Well, now there's no record of it. Or you shouldn't have released it unless you had X, Y, or Z. Well, kind of put in a tough spot, right? We want to connect people to their data. We understand people need these for for many different reasons. And if so, if we put up roadblocks, we're getting in the way. But if we don't put the appropriate roadblocks in place, now we're not holding up our end of the the responsibility there. So it creates a very difficult, I think, situation for many of our uh, healthcare provider clients and, and our companies too.
1: And honestly, as you read through the notice proposed rulemaking, and then you try to crosswalk it back and marry it to the interoperability, there's some gaps that still exist. So other than saying, I don't think the notice proposed rulemaking was well thought out. It wasn't well written. I think it needs to be scratched and they need to start over because whatever is written on HIPAA for privacy, it has got to marry closely with interoperability. Those two need to be a perfect match, a partnership. And I don't see that this notice did that. So part of the ask, I think, should be is let's scratch this and start over to make something more productive and useful into the environment that we're in now. Because HIPAA, the way it was written was, you know, 20 plus years ago, and it definitely needs a facelift. It needs to be updated because the way we deliver medicine and deliver care today is totally different than it was when that was written. And what the interoperability rule is now. Now over here in the lane of this is what we want now and future. So this rule needs to marry to that. We're not seeing that it that it does it very well.
0: You brought up the interoperability rule, Rita. And you know, as we know, federal regulators are also promoting the ability of patients to more easily access their electronic mm-hmm. health records on their own including through smartphones and other devices of their choosing. What potential privacy and security issues does this all pose in terms of patients having direct access to their health information more easily, but then you also have problems in terms of verifying who people are?
2: One of the things in this proposed rule that to me raises some eyebrows and also if I were sitting in the IT leadership position of a healthcare provider, and I saw that this rule said that I had to mandatorily implement APIs for any application into my EHR system. That's a huge undertaking, number one. Two, it, it is a real security risk to me. You know, we could probably list off a handful of applications that each of us are very familiar with. We understand the enterprise security behind them, but there are hundreds of thousands of apps that could potentially come from this, all asking to connect into a healthcare system, the EMR system, these healthcare providers. And there's, and there's, as it's written today. There's no guardrail on that either, right? There's just a, it's mandatory to let these APIs connect into your system. So to me, I I think that presents a real security challenge. And then you get into the the substance of what actually is is passing back and forth to these applications. So I think that that's a big, another another area of concern for uh, folks to focus on here.
1: We're trying to balance two things, access and the accessibility to get information going quicker and patient privacy. Patients are not gonna complain about privacy until it's lost. Until something goes out that they didn't want out there, then it's gonna be a concern. Otherwise, it's invisible to them. We'll just share an example that one of our colleagues shared through the fact that as a patient directive, you know, because the patient can direct their information to anybody, so they directed it to their attorney. When it's directed in, in that way, that means there's no guardrails. They get everything. So when they wound up going to court with that information, The patient's there, her husband's there, and it comes out that she's had experienced a rape in the past. The husband didn't know that. That's where where we say that authorizations play a part because it helps have that dialogue with the patient so they know specifically what information they want to be released versus what they don't want shared, and they want protected because it's so sensitive that they would not want it shared publicly in any way. And right now, if it's a directive... It's that patient gets it just like it's the patient. There's no guardrails at all. And this is basically what the notice of proposed rulemaking is is pushing. And your question about interoperability, you know, how that's going to work. And as Zach said, I think there's going to be limited apps that get certified first, and it's probably going to be focused to population health, the things that's really going to help the patient control their healthcare better. And I think they'd probably focus to chronic, but, you know, I could go on and on about that. But my understanding is that the patient will have an app and it'll ping the system. And then once that system, it'll download the USCDI elements. It's not going to download the whole record. It can't. So the patient's probably going to get this and go, huh, I wanted to know this, this, and this, and it's not there. So they're still going to be coming back and saying, I want the entire record. And the entire record is a mixture of electronic from different systems and paper that have to come together. And that's where we've come in. And it would be then a standard request of information that we'd be providing to the patient.
0: So over the last year or so, we've seen more than a dozen HIPAA settlements. And each of these cases seem to have a common element where a patient or somebody that they designated to request their data from a healthcare provider on their behalf requested the information and didn't get the information and then complained to OCR and OCR steps in and eventually the patient gets their records, but it wasn't in a timely way. What do you think is at the center of some of these issues?
1: We dissect these as an industry and look at them to make sure that our internal policies and our processes don't have us in in a situation similar some of these were smaller facilities where they did not have the skill set behind them to really understand the rule and understand what was supposed to go on one you know they asked for their information and when a patient asks for the information it's supposed to be released from a designated record set the designated record set is supposed to be anything that is used to make a healthcare decision and or regarding the payment of that claim so what they were releasing was the record what they really wanted also was the fetal monitor strip. The fetal monitor strip regarding the the baby when the the mother's in labor is not usually interpreted and made part of of the health record and the fetal monitor strip's huge. So it's not usually made part of the record. There might be strips of it there, but this individual wanted that particular document. So after conversation and they knew what they wanted, but the problem was if it's a patient request, it should be coming from the definition of a designated record set. That was one concern. There was a couple uh, where they didn't recognize the personal representative. They didn't recognize a parent as a personal representative for an adult child who, yes, they were an adult, but they were mentally incompetent to make decisions. So the, uh, the parent still maintained medical power of attorney. The other situation was a parent and the child had medical power of attorney and they didn't recognize that as the patient representative again. Small facilities didn't have the training and the constant awareness of these things. The bulk, a lot of them were the fact it was timing and/or fees. And again, the timing has to be within the 30 days. And some of them went three to four months. Fees are a different thing. And we are seeing other industries in our space that are trying to pose as a patient representative when they're really not standing in the shoes of the patient to make a healthcare decision, trying to state that they are, and then they're filing complaints too about fees because a patient can direct to anyone and will provide it. But if they're not standing in the shoes for a healthcare decision and they're really wanting that
0: record for
1: economic reasons, we charge them state rates.
0: If these proposals become finalized, could this also create the opportunity for additional data breaches or privacy breaches? And if so, why?
2: I think you you open up the possibility of more data breaches for sure. Number one, you're talking about a lot more people potentially having to be involved in the process, right? Rather than having a centralized process, now it's going to be decentralized and more and more uh, individuals at these healthcare providers are going to have to take this responsibility on, uh, on themselves potentially. And that means that there is potentially people that have less training that are now in the the seat responsible for fulfilling these requests. So you could certainly have more inadvertent data breaches. These are well-intentioned people, right? These are not folks that are trying to do the wrong thing, but these are complicated rules and they're they're sort of doing their best. And so you could see more breaches inadvertently that way. When you say we're going to relax the burden of identity verification, you're almost inviting the opportunity for folks to, to take advantage of that. So you could certainly have some some bad actors that are using the rules to their advantage and at the same time have some very well-intentioned folks who are under pressure to release in a condensed timeline information that they don't necessarily fully understand or haven't vetted.
0: Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Rita. I've been speaking to Rita Bowen and Zach Perry. I'm Marianne kolbisak mcgee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.